Hi, I'm Rick Hess, Director of Education Policy Studies at the American Enterprise Institute. And I'm Pedro Noguera, Dean of the USC Washington School of Education. Welcome to our podcast, Common Ground, Conversations on Schooling. Two of us often fall on different sides of the big questions in education, but today we're going to talk through some of the educational issues of the day in search for deeper understanding and sometimes common ground. Today's conversation is going to be about the return to school amid the resurgence of COVID, especially the Delta variant. We're going to talk about masking, about vaccine mandates, about social distancing, uh, about all this stuff. One of the things, Pedro, that you and I have both noticed is how much of this conversation has been shaped by partisan divides. So much of it's red, blue, um, folks running with their team. And I got to tell you, um, I think the issue's confusing. And I think Delta has raised new challenges. And I, I, I'm, I'm actually eager to just try to hash this out with you a little bit, you know, without putting on a red jersey. <laughs> I think that's a good idea because um, what's interesting, although it does a lot of times get framed as partisan, I know a lot of people on the left who are also anti-vax, who are believing the conspiracy theories. Um, so I think it's actually more complicated than even the media captures it. Yeah, there's a shocker. <laughs> you know, one of the things that I have found so frustrating about how we've talked about COVID in schools over the last 18 months is even when it seemed pretty clear that COVID 1.0 did not pose much of a risk to young kids and that schools didn't appear to be big sources of community spread, it became really hard to get kids back to school and get schools reopening. And so I have a lot of sympathy with the idea that we got to get kids back to school. And I share the notion that man, I really don't want my young kids wearing masks seven hours a day. But at the same time, Delta has created some changes. We don't understand Delta as well. It does seem to be uh, more virulent. Certainly kids seem to be more susceptible. And so it seems to me that we can't just rehash the conversation we had over the last 12 or 18 months, but we need to kind of deal with the situation on the ground with, with our eyes wide open. Yeah. And I, I, I agree with that because I, I think what we don't know is who's at greatest risk of uh, serious illness and hospitalization or even death uh, if they do contract COVID. We had a case here in California of a teacher who refused to wear a mask and who actually infected 12 of the 25 kids in her class. Um, now, I don't know, you know how serious the illnesses were, but you know these are um, issues we shouldn't take lightly. At the same time, you know, we have a mask mandate at USC. As soon as I get a chance, I take mine off uh, because it is hard to breathe. It is hard to talk uh, with a mask on. So I do understand uh, why people object. But I would say that for the sake of safety for all people, um, especially those who are most vulnerable, that this is a precaution worth taking. And, and I hear that. And it seems to me certainly that if you're in a community with high rates of spread, I get universal masking. I do wonder whether universal masking needs to be the default everywhere. Cause I don't know, you, you know, you and I both have young kids. Uh, my four-year-old just started pre-K today. My seven-year-old just started second grade. They're okay with masks. I mean, but at the same time, I think there's real consequences. I don't think kids interacting with each other and teachers for six, seven hours a day in masks is the same thing as kids interacting without masks. 
And again, I, I don't have a problem with mask mandates when they are adopted because of the local, the situation, local context, what's happening in a school or a system. I do worry that mandatory masking for a lot of people um, has become a talisman, you know, has become more about the symbol than necessarily the risk assessment. And I do worry that for too many public officials, mask mandates can become just a form of cover your ass than <laughs> a, you know, a careful, thoughtful decision about how do we make sure kids and educators and families are, you know, are best served. The same thing is true, though, on the other side. I think that some of those who came mm -hmm. out against mask mandates, I think in Texas and, for example, and Florida, when you have, um, you know, large cities that where there has been quite a bit of spread, uh, and now you're pitting superintendents versus um, governors, um, this is not the way we should be resolving these issues either. Oh, absolutely. No, I'm, I'm with you. I'm with you there. I like DeSantis a lot. <laughs> I think we, I think that's one of those places we come at it differently. Um, I have a lot of respect. I think he's taken a massive amount of unfair um, criticism through the last 18 months. But um, I think the state telling school districts they're not allowed to have a mask mandate is problematic. Yeah, I think you need to be responsive to local context. And I can certainly imagine that there's communities in Florida where a mask mandate is not necessarily appropriate. I, I am sure there are communities where a mask mandate is appropriate. And again, you're exactly right. I think what you see there is folks on both sides um, treating masks as, as a point scoring mechanism, as a talisman, as a political device, yeah. rather than trying to ask, all right, how do we balance concerns about community spread, about well-being of kids and adults in schools um, with, with the consequences that masks may have for kids. And, you know, we, we picked on Florida and, and, and um, Texas, but there are other states, you know, including some red states that um, I think have approached it differently. And, uh, and so it's, again, you know, these are issues that don't always cut clearly along the partisan divide. And, and I think what's important but acknowledging that is it reminds us that when there are complex issues like this, of how do we keep people safe? How do we prevent this spread? Knowing full well that it can be deadly and it can be lead to serious harm, especially in children, that we need to be guided by, you know, uh, good science, good evidence. It was interesting. I was listening to the um, Secretary of Education, Cardona, and because uh, they're threatening now to withhold funding from states that are um, not allowing mask mandates and what, I, what he said, I, I really appreciate. He said, listen, I know that if we withhold funding, I'm just hurting the kids. Um, and so this is not a reasonable way to go. Um, and a much better way to go would be to work this out with the states. So that was, um, I think, encouraging to hear from the secretary an acknowledgement that um, just picking up a bat to fight the other person is not necessarily the best way to work this out. Yeah, no, I like that sentiment, although I'd find it, you know, I'd find it easier to credit if the Biden administration weren't trying to use uh, civil rights law and special needs, you know, federal language uh, to threaten uh, civil rights investigations of five states. Because, again, like, I understand 
um, folks who want mask mandates in schools. I get it. I'm sympathetic to it. I don't have a a priori problem with it. Um, But just as I think, you know, Democrats would have thought it massively inappropriate if Trump had asked Betsy DeVos to stop schools from adopting mask mandates, uh, I think it's equally inappropriate for the Biden administration to go after states. Yeah. On, I mean, these are things that, you know, require trust and conversation. And I, I think federal government threatening lawsuits is, is, not a, <laughs> is not a way that moves us toward that kind of resolution. Yeah. I guess it's a reflection of the times we're in because um, there's not a whole lot of uh, reasonable discussion going on out there about these issues. You know, one, one piece of that is, you know, the science. I, I couldn't agree more with your sentiment that it would be really nice if we could look at the data on what's happening in a school or a school district and uh, look at what we know about the consequences of trying to socially distance in schools or masking or the rest of it, and then sort it out. What makes the most sense for this community? But honestly, I don't know. I also feel that the, that the research community and the public health community has done itself no favors through this. You know, last winter when it leaked out that the CDC was going back and forth with the teacher associations about its guidance, uh, when uh, the healthcare community, you, you know, was telling us that we needed a mask for the foreseeable future, and then the next week they dropped the mask guidance. Uh, it, it seems to me that, look, we're dealing with imperfect information and science is, we're learning new things and new studies are being conducted. Uh, but, you know, somebody like, uh, you know, Tony Fauci, a, a year and a half ago, I was just enormously impressed by. I'd never heard of the man. He seemed thoughtful. And I got to tell you, I just had, you know, he, he, he um, came out advising schools adopt vaccine mandates uh, the other day. It's something which strikes me as reasonable. Uh, kids have to be vaccinated for hepatitis B. They have to be vaccinated for chicken pox and measles. I think it's totally appropriate that kids have to get vaccinated. Um, but I also don't find Fauci a very compelling voice at this point. I feel like he has been on so many sides of so many of these questions that he has been so transparently political uh, that he has used his authority to weigh in on COVID origins in China in a way that has bred at least to me distrust that I'm yearning for scientific figures who seem more interested in staying in their lane and staying out of the political dimensions of the job. And they seem to be far and few between. Yeah, I, I might be a little more sympathetic to Fauci than you, but I do think that the, the messages have been mixed. You know, they've told us at one point, if you're vaccinated, take your mask off. Uh, now they say, no, keep it on. So we have not gotten clear and consistent messages. And um, I think that's added to the confusion and the, the controversy. But um, I also think that the, the science itself um, is kind of evolving. You know, we have to understand, um, you know, how it plays out. Right now, we are seeing a surge in some rural areas. That wasn't the case the, a year ago. So um, I'm, I'm just aware that sometimes being um, clear on the messages is, is harder than it might seem because uh, the, the, the data is shifting. Uh, we have a mask mandate here at uh, USC where I work. And what's um, impressed me is that, um, although we have a great medical school guiding our policies, 
um, we still are confused that, you know, about how do we enforce it? Basically, we rely a lot on trust. Um, people saying they got vaccinated. Um, uh, and, um, you know, that doesn't seem like the most <laughs> uh, sure certain way to, to keep people safe. But I think ultimately that's a big part of it. You have to rely on um, people doing what's right. I, I think that that makes sense, especially since, right, we don't actually have a uh, vaccine repository tracking whether people. <laughs> so at this point, you know, you can buy fake vaccination cards on the internet for 50 or 75 bucks, uh, which makes it hard to know. Um, but, you know, it's also the fact that people seem to disagree fundamentally about what's right. So, you know, Education Next came out just the other day with its annual poll. Full disclosure, I'm an editor at Education Next. But, you know, the, the, the survey asked a nationally representative sample of American parents um, when five to 11 year olds are approved, you know, if and when they're approved for vaccination by the FDA, will you get your kid vaccinated? 51% said definitely or probably yes. Uh, over a third said definitely or probably no, which means, you know, for those of us who kind of hoped that we would all get excited about a vaccine which had historic levels of efficacy. Uh, I remember racing out, you know, I wound up getting my, you know, I live in Virginia, got my shots in Maryland this spring because I was like eager to kind of get on the bandwagon. Um, you know, I think many of us had hoped that we would have such large numbers of vaccination that it wouldn't be an issue. But if we know that more than a third of kids aren't gonna be vaccinated even into next spring or potentially next fall, we're gonna have fierce fights about vaccine mandates. Um, that means we're still gonna be arguing about what kind of mitigation, masking and social distancing. Um, and on those, we know that not only is there a deep split from the survey results, but the Ednex stuff also found exactly what we've been talking about. On masking, Democrats are for 60 to 20, 20 undecided, Republicans are against mask mandates, 20 to 60. Um, on social distancing, Democrats are strongly for social distancing in schools. Republicans are strongly against social distancing in schools. So not only do we seem destined to keep arguing about vaccine mandates, but if we can't get that squared away, we're going to keep having these red-blue debates about what do we do in schools while COVID lingers. And I mean, how do you help people think this through? I don't know. I, I really don't. Um, what I do know is that the, the more we fight over this stuff, the more it prevents us from um, really getting a handle on this pandemic. Uh, you know, we were hoping that by the summer we would be past it, and we're clearly not. I think for as long as there's um, disagreement about how to approach it, they'll continue to be spread, and that means that um, you know we're going to see. Um, shutdowns, we're going to see um, people getting sick and dying and hospitals overrun. Um, so, you know, this is another example where our political divisions really do have consequences on our ability to solve a, a real problem, in this case, the pandemic. And um, I don't know where, you know, you know, we talked before about whether or not scientists could, could be the kind of uh, brokers that would help us figure this out. We need some way to kind of get through this that allows us to move beyond the partisan divides. And I, but I don't clearly see what that is. Maybe our podcast <laughs> could do it, Rick. <laughs> you know, I mean, it's, 
you know, it, it, it's, su it's such a dilemma. I mean, I think about like the educators or school board members that we both hear from who feel just squeezed in the middle. I mean, a lot of these folks are like, look, what I'm really eager to do is get kids back in school, uh, get kids called up. We know that so many are four or five months behind or more where they should be. So many kids have been disconnected and alienated. And we need to focus relentlessly on that. And instead, enormous time and energy is being consumed with, I've got some number of parents who are hugely committed to masking everywhere and they are deeply upset if people are walking around school outside unmasked. And I've got other parents who seem to explode into a rage when anybody puts on a mask voluntarily. And your educators are caught in between this stuff. And it's like, it sucks up just time and energy that needs to be focused on the job at hand. I mean, for me, partly this is how do we think about, how do we think about giving people more agency so the educators aren't stuck splitting the difference? Yeah. As long as this is going, should part of public choice programming be having schools that are mask mandatory and schools that are mask optional? and telling folks, look, rather than spend the next year and a half or however long quarreling about this, if you want to move your kid to a school that reflects your views, we're going to make it easier for you to get them there. I mean, how, how does something like that strike you? I don't know. I mean, um, one of the ironies we talked about Florida a moment ago um, is that the governor can issue the no mask mandate for the public schools, but there are several charter schools that have mask mandates. And they can't do anything about it. So we are seeing, um, I mean, maybe choice um, would allow um, at least some parents to choose the option that they think is best for them. Um, but, you know, as we've talked about before, choice doesn't always work when there are no choices available for you. <laughs> yeah, I mean, one of the things I wonder about is, you know, if this lingers, I mean, there's going to, there's Lambda, and then we're going to work our way through the Greek alphabet with these new variants. And, you know, like we keep talking about, COVID's going to be with us forever. Um, it will eventually seem less scary and novel, and it will feel more like the flu. But so long as COVID is top of mind, if you're a parent who wants your kids in a mask mandate school, and you're in a state where the governor has issued, uh, you know, no mandatory masking, uh, I think bright private school options or charter options, which are outside that purview, we're going to start looking real good. So I wonder if just like last year, we saw this explosion of interest in homeschooling and in you know private schooling. I wonder if we're going to see another wave of that um, as parents get frustrated by uh, you know mask wars, or if if being frustrated about mask policy doesn't rise to the same level of frustration as school closure. Yeah, that's a good question. There are still, you know, a whole bunch of other parents that are afraid, afraid to send their kids to school now, even with a mask. Uh, I haven't seen the data yet on enrollment, but um, the uh, polling data that I'd seen in California showed that uh, large numbers of parents, particularly Asian-American and African-American parents, were reluctant to send the kids back to school at all. So, um, you know, people are responding to this issue differently, some with anger, some with fear. Yeah. Um, and um, it's in that climate, um, reason often loses out. Yeah, no, and I've, I've, seen, I've seen that too. And in fact, the next data was interesting on this. It turns out that for elementary kids, 
uh, Americans are split basically 50-50 on whether schools should be allowed to offer remote options this year. Uh, Democrats are broadly in favor. I think it was like two to one. Republicans are broadly against. Um, apparently, you know, it, it seems that Republicans are concerned that if schools have a remote option, it's going to make it much too easy for them to default back to closure um, if community spread hits some level. And whereas Democrats, I think, especially some of those demographic groups you talked about, uh, really would prefer uh, to stay remote this year. Um, <laughs> once again, I'm up two minds. On the one hand, look, I respect families' concerns. And if they feel that their kids should be learning remotely or homeschooling, I, I respect that choice. Uh, on the other hand, uh, I also think that remote schooling has been really ineffective and even destructive for a lot of kids. And that some parents, it may be less a careful cost-benefit evaluation than something they've been stampeded into by a lot of terrifying media. Yeah. Yeah. But, you know, again, fear can, um, you know, push you in, in, in to do things. Um, and, um, you know, there is evidence that there are a lot of kids that, uh, particularly introverts, that uh, did do well mm -hmm. um, on remote learning. So, and I think remote learning is here to stay. Um, it, it, it's actually going to, I think, going to continue to grow. Hopefully it'll improve in terms of quality. Um, it doesn't resolve this political dilemma, but it, it does increase the options available to families. Yeah, and, I, and I'm, I'm with you on that. Although, you know, New York City, for instance, did away with snow days uh, this year. Nothing scares me more than the idea of families waking up at 4 a.m. to find out suddenly it's a snow day. The kid does materials. The teacher didn't prepare a virtual lesson. The teacher hasn't taught online in a month. The parents don't know how to find the kid's, you know, password. It seems to me that like we had enough trouble had, you know, months to, to set an orderly routine of remote learning. I'm real worried about kind of haphazard remote. But I also don't disagree with you that families and, you know, especially knowing their kid and knowing that they might have somebody who is immunocompromised at home, that, you know, again, I'm with you. They've got the right to make the decision that they think is going to best serve their family. You know, before we uh, bring this into a close, Pedro, I, I got to ask you, I mean, how do you think about school closure this year? I mean, are we going to see much of it? Where should the balance lie when, you know, communities are deciding to close schools back up? I hope it's, it's the last resort. Um, you know, I hope that, um, that, that when it becomes necessary to quarantine um, students or, or staff, um, that it'll be very limited. Um, I, I think the disruption that we've seen already has had really devastating consequences. So I'm in agreement with you. I, I, I think the vast majority of kids need to be in school. And uh, that's what we should be really pushing for is policies that encourage and support that. Yeah, you know, I mean, right when we were already seeing substantial school closure and we're a week into the new year, maybe in different places. Um, and and I, I just hope that the trigger for closure is set real high when we think about, you know, the green and the yellow and the red zones and where um, that, you know, I hope, I hope we're uh, very deliberate and targeted about when we decide to quarantine. And I hope we're extraordinarily reluctant to close except when there's no good alternative. No, I, I'm with you there. 
I'm worried again that especially, you know, it's easy for public health officials to kind of default towards closure, it seems like, because um, they, they can say, hey, we're keeping folks safe. And I'm not sure that they've always given as much weight as they've needed to towards kind of the costs for kids and families. Yeah, no, I, I agree. And, um, and, and it does concern me, I know. But at the same time, you know, um, football games are back. Um, <laughs> people are going to concerts. Um, so the risk of spread is high. Um, and so we'll just see what happens. Right. I mean, I, I sure as hell hope we close bars and restaurants this time before we close. <laughs> Not after. Um, all right. Well, hey, uh, it's you know, we took the summer off, my friend. Uh, it's, it's great to see you. Great to see you. Great talking to you, Rick. Absolutely. Hey, uh, have a great start of school there at USC, and we'll talk soon. Thanks. As we say here at USA, fight out. <laughs> <laughs> Take care. The two of us have much more to say, but we're out of time for today. If you're interested in hearing more, check out our book, A Search for Common Ground, conversations about the toughest questions in K-12 education. Thanks for listening to Common Ground, conversations on schooling. And thanks to our producers, Tracy Shera and Olivia Shaw. You can subscribe to Common Ground on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you like what you hear, consider leaving us a review. And feel free to let us know what topics you'd like to see us discuss by sending an email to podcast at ADI.org. Thanks for joining. Until next time.